And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. Check the Sunday paper for the mega toy store ads And I'm there before they open beating all the moms and dads From the latest action figure to the newest talking pets There won't be a toy remaining for the boys and girls to get The collector comes, the collector buys And the kids who wait get a rude surprise It isn't for the joy of the toys Expect the collector to be there Just to collect I keep them in their plastic and their special bubble wrap And I never even open peel back Unsnap! Alphabetical and ordered in their perfect numbered place Every toy from every childhood in a locked case The collector comes, the collector buys And the kids who wait get a rude surprise It isn't for the joy of the toys Expect the collector to be there Just to collect Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell, and I'm flying solo for episode 144. Uh, Langley is away, he had some car trouble and couldn't get here, so it's just going to be me and our guest. Our guest, Liam Marcello. I've known this guy for a long time, since like Carpenocton days. Yeah, Liam? That, that is true. I was, I was in college when I first uh, wrote to you asking about writing for the magazine. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you... You've gone on to to uh, you. Your writing appears in Evil Speak. Um, uh, your writing for Ivan Press, Death Moon Publishing. Um, how would you describe yourself? Um, you're, you're like the guy I know that you're like a you're like a general horror guy. Whenever I think of like horror people, I immediately think of you. I, I would say that's a, probably a pretty good description. I'm not like the. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I have a specialty in terms of what films I write about or what, you know, cultural aspects I write about or literature. So I write about all of them and not one in particular, not one area in particular, like Italian horror or Spanish horror, or Japanese horror. You know, I, I have interest in, in all the areas. So I would say general horror is probably pretty good, pretty good description. <laughs> I, uh, uh, the, what, the reason we wanted to talk with you is about the Charnel House, which is where, yes. uh, the home where you live. And we want to talk a little <laughs> bit about, I was thinking about genre collecting and how I see okay. people, I see people going to conventions like Chiller and, and what mm-hmm. have you around the country and, um, and they feverishly collect stuff. And they, they do. They pay, they pay unbelievable amounts of money for this stuff. It is it, true. It's weird because it's this, it's uh, 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 it's like this piece of their youth or this thing that that, that they geek on, and I find more and more that peop- everyone geeks on something. 
when I first started going to horror conventions, like Chili Theater was the first horror convention I went to. Oh, wow. And this was back in 1994. And it was in the gymnasium of um, Fairleigh Dickinson University out here <laughs> in uh, New Jersey. And I had no idea what to expect because I'd only been to comic book shows. So I had a little list of what I wanted to look for, like I Am Legend by Matheson and a few you know, Hong Kong action movies and a few other things. And they had it all. You know, so it was really feeding the need, you know, feeding the hunger. And um, really that, you know, this was pre-eBay. This was sure. even really pre-mail order to a degree, you know. But now you can go to a horror convention several every weekend, you know. Uh, so, the, the, you know, as you said, the feverish collecting, it's almost unbelievably saturated, you know, because you could drop your whole month's paycheck. Easy. <laughs> easy. Very easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I remember those days in the 90s when it was like tape trading, and you, mm -hmm. you knew a guy who could get you a copy of <laughs> yeah. uh, Flower of Flesh and Blood, and it was clean. It wasn't like a 6th, 7th, 8th generation copy. And uh, I remember dealing with the magazine, uh, p places like Video Search of Miami, mm -hmm, where you could mm -hmm. find all sorts of stuff. Um, and uh, uh, it, it, was a, it was a good time, because now you've got companies like Synapse and, and uh, 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 a couple of the other companies that are mm -hmm. re-releasing classics of genre onto DVD and, and Blu-ray. It, it, it's amazing. It is, it, it, you know, and we, I, I talk with, with some of my friends, you know, like Billy uh, Nasseru puts out Evil Speak, that yes. he comes from about the same time. He's, he's roughly the same age as I am. And um, he did tape trading, too, you know, and it, there, there really was something about hunting down that film, mm -hmm. you know. And even if it was, to a degree, generated, and, you know, if it was came from a Japanese uh, laser disc, it had the blur out, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, spot yeah. <laughs> and the crazy subtitles. Or you'd get some crazy thing like a, you know, gr uh, Turkish subtitles, you know, mm -hmm. or something out there. But now, you know, the, you know some of these um, younger guys, and not to sound ancient, <laughs> you know, but some of these kids, they'll get a Blu-ray that's perfect. Better than the film looked when it was, you know, cut. And, you know, they just have to use PayPal and they have it, you know. And exactly. I, I, think, I, just, I just got a copy of Popcorn on Blu-ray. Number one, uh -huh. why they're releasing Popcorn, I have no idea. But when, <laughs> but when you put it on, it's just like, oh, look at this. This is like, this is the print. And, I'm yes. just, and you're just used to, you're right, Turkish subtitles or weird. I remember seeing a copy of a better, the first A Better Tomorrow. And uh, mm -hmm. someone said, is that what happened? And the response was, it is. But the subtitle said, it's. Yes. Which made no sense. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, re that was, I remember that was one of the movies I went to Chiller Theater to find was A Better Tomorrow 2. Yeah. Because it was playing in um, True Romance. And I said, what is that movie, you know? Um, so I, I had to look for it. It's like the first time you obliquely see Ricky O. You go, oh, I, I, I need to, to get my hands <laughs> on whatever this yeah. is. Here's a side story funny about Ricky O. Uh, I interviewed Guar once on their bus, and okay. play, playing in the background was Ricky O. Of course it uh, was. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm like, I asked him, I go, do you have this on a loop, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, um, were you, were you uh, were you a monster kid, quote unquote, the new term that everyone seems to be embracing? Really, when I was a kid, I I was you know I was the youngest of four, and my older brother was a good ten years older than I was, and so by the time I got to be like seven or eight, my my brothers and my sister had put my folks through hell. So I was really protected. You know, my mom didn't want me to watch, you know, I couldn't watch an R-rated movie. You know, I had to sneak it on HBO and, you know, try to sneak in bits and pieces, you know, here and there. So when I was, um, say, junior high, I was really more of an action kid, you know, like Red Dawn and yeah. uh, the first Blood movies or the Schwarzenegger films or things like that, you know, and, and of course horror movies here and there, but that really didn't come until high school. Um, but my mom really put the uh, steel boot on seeing any of this stuff. Um, so some of it to a degree, like my, I would have friends whose parents really didn't care, you know, so they would watch uh, Friday the 13th or the sequels or um, – Nightmare on Elm Street, and I, I never really saw those until I was in high school. Uh, probably I didn't see them until I had my own VCR in my room. Nice. Um, I, I didn't see a lot of uh, horror, and I didn't see porno, uh, thankfully, until I <laughs> had a VCR in my room and I learned how to uh, bootleg tapes. That was, really was the springboard, and then it was on. Once I could bootleg tapes, and I had my BMX bike, and I could ride to the you know, video store in town, uh-huh. It was it was on. Um, yeah, it was a it was a. I I just remember going into a mom and pop video store and seeing Gates of Hell for the first time, and I was like, what mm-hmm. is, what is this? You know, I had no idea. Um, yeah, and that it's always interesting and <laughs> as a fan, little little things like that open the door to like suddenly Italian horror is open to you, and 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 by yeah. extension of that, Spanish and and European and. You know, uh, it it's it it's an amazing thing. Um, do you remember the first film that really like just dro- knocked your saw, like dropped you in your tracks and said, "This is the one. This is the this is the one I want to, you know, I want to hang on to." I think um, I, I would probably, even though, but you know, by some standards, it's it's somewhat tame, you know. But um, I, I would say Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. You know, I, I sort of first saw Night of the Living Dead, I, I believe, when I was in eighth grade, and a local cable access channel would play it every Halloween. Nice. And, I, you know, I wasn't really, you know, I had heard of zombie movies. I might have even seen Dawn of the Dead already. But, you know, and here's this black and white movie, and, you know, you know, uh, ignorant kids, they, they think black and white it will equal boring, you know. So it really did uh, have that grim... Um, dismal vibe, you know, especially the ending, you know, mm-hmm. um, no one survives, there's no justice, there's no redemption. Um, it, it, so I would say that sort of, you know, uh, proto-modern, so to speak, vibe. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, that was, I saw it when I was 10, and yeah, same thing. Um yeah. I remember, though, my mom taking us, I may have told the story on the podcast before, but my mom taking a carload of kids to the drive-in to see this new comedy she'd heard about. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and it was uh, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 
And so I was like five, I remember. And, yeah. and it was one of those things where you, you know, she was instantly like, okay, everyone's going to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember watching the movie through the crack of the bucket seats mm-hmm. and being petrified. And I knew, like, yeah, this is, give me more of this. Yeah. <laughs> And then after, you know, Night of Living Dead, it was, you know, your you're, you're somewhat standards like um, Texas Chainsaw yeah. or The First Evil Dead or, you know, some of those, uh, vi- you know, mom and pop video store classics. Yeah. You know? Redneck uh, zombies and, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, I, I do remember that. Uh, uh, so how, how does... So this general collecting of films, does that mm-hmm. just naturally progress to um, you, you're collecting other things that, that are s- sort of collaterally related, T-shirts, right. and then there's and uh, you know, music and posters and that kind of thing? Because your house um, is amazing. There's a video of it you. online, and, and there's a tour of it, and it's just, yeah, it's great. <laughs> My my I grew up. My folks' house um, was in northern New Jersey, probably ten minutes from Manhattan, so just over the George Washington Bridge. And it was um, the oldest house in town, and it was an old Victorian mansion, I would say. And my folks were collectors, both of my folks. So we're I'm in this old house that probably from the outside everybody thinks is haunted, and it's filled with clocks. It's filled with, uh, my mom used to be a big collector of these Hummel statues, these little German kids, you know. Uh-huh. So just filled with things, you know. So really, in some ways, the collecting thing was in my blood, I, I would say, you know. Or at least I was exposed to it so much that it was inevitable. Either I was going to be a minimalist to the point where I was not going to own, like, my own shoes, or... <laughs> You know, now I, when people ask what my design style is, I say I'm a maximalist, you know, like we just, it's almost like the Uncle Forey principle, you know, you yeah, just yeah. want to surround yourself with these things. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of the so, line, it reminds me of the line, no, uh, nothing succeeds like excess. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. you know, um, so probably at first, you know, in terms of the horror thing, it was just trying to amass as many movies as you could because you're really fiending for them. You know, you just wanted to see as many as you can, the craziest, the most obscure, you know. And then it, you know, you want to buy the press books or you want to buy posters mm-hmm. or, you know, at the time it really was, you know, when I first started, it was impossible to buy VHS tapes because they were like $70 each. Yeah, yeah, they were. Um, you so could, I was just... buy them later on like sell-through when the store had, let's say, bought... 10 copies when it's in yeah, release, yeah. and when they were looking to get rid of them, you could get it for less. But yeah, they were like, Dances with Wolves, I remember, was selling for $90. The, the only one I, I bought is I was obsessed with uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, circa yeah. like 10th grade, yeah. and I begged my mom to buy it for me, and she did. She pr- probably some uh, signs should have gone up for her or, you know, but um, I was obsessed with it. I got it. I think it was like $75. Wow. So thank you to my mom uh, for <laughs> buying me that tape. In, but uh, In a weird way, was that her kind of, was it, was it a purely accidental thing or was it, was it there that moment that she was sort of condoning? Uh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I would say probably it was more that, by the time my brothers and my sister were, say, in 10th grade, 
they had already done drugs or been drinking or were like raising hell around town. Okay. I would just sit in my bedroom and watch movies. There you go. You know, I would read, I would write, I would watch movies. I, at the time, I was also into drawing. I would draw. Um, I was doing well in school. You know, I was unbelievably introverted and, you know, isolated from the world. But I think in some ways, as long as uh, the police were not involved <laughs> and I was not getting threatened with getting kicked out of school or, like, beating people up or what have you, um, I think she was okay. I also, I will, at the same time, and looking back, I sort of laugh about it. I also was a big knife collector. Ah. So I, in my closet, I had a, a, a footlocker full of knives, like 50 knives. So I'm surrounding myself with knives. I'm surrounding myself with these horror movies. So I think if, if I was coming up today, I don't think I would have been as free to indulge, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it was back but, in the day. I know when I was growing up, it was a back in the day where you, your mom or your parents would go to work, and then as long as you were home when the, tr the street lights came on, you know, they, exactly. had, they had no idea yeah. what was happening. And um, No, it, and yeah, no, it's very much the truth. They yeah. had too much going on, you know, and they were just relieved I was not uh, in the back of a cop car. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, uh, so, so even then, I mean, it sounds like you 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 had this a collection, and yeah. it, it begins the idea. Sometimes I think there's a difference with from between a sort of a fans hoarding and regular hoarding. <laughs> you, know? you know what? That is true. There is, and because I... it becomes a point where you're like, I don't need another Dracula statue, but man, this one's really cool. <laughs> Right. And I need to have you know, it. It's, uh, you know, my wife and I always talk about it, or, you know, friends, like, like-minded friend. And I think as long as you can display your things in a way that is attractive to the eye. Right. You know, and they're not just piled in the corner. And you're talking about your great collection, but it's, you know, just stacked in heaps around you. Right, right, Disorganized, right. sort of so to speak, uncurated, you know, yeah. I think, I think th that's I, when you start to move into that other area. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the word curated. You know, you go through most people's, if it's just a pile of junk, it's a pile of junk, but when it's right, put, right. put in its own, you know, <laughs> these places of, of, of clear honor, I think that's, that's fascinating to me because it's, it, it helps create that environment that you call home. You know what I mean? No, it's that you know what it's definitely the truth. It is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you remember? And the, it feels you know, for me. For me, it feels good to have it in its place. You know. Yeah. Feeds yeah. that OCD sort of vibe. You know. <laughs> Man, we, we are so talk, You're so talking my language here. Um, uh, do you remember the first piece that that you you bought that was really like yeah. Hmm. Let me think a second. I think, you know, and this is going back to the very beginning. I think I bought a a Dawn of the Dead. I, th I guess it was like a movie mm -hmm. uh, program book slash poster. Wow. And I've seen everybody has it. And it folds out into this crazy great 70s style art of the gang, you know, in their action poses. And um, it was signed by Tom Savini, you know, and it was, 
it was just very cool to have. I was very happy to have it, you know. Um, and that was probably one of the first ones because it was accessible. It wasn't uh, overly expensive. Um, I, I'd say that was one of the first, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then um, I think, let me think. Ah, kids are home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's still of my train of thought. Yeah. But I think that that is um, that would be one of the first ones. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That that's awesome. Uh, uh, so where uh, so these days, you know, it used to be that you would go to conventions, and and, and mm-hmm. that could be a heady thing, you know. Right. One being surrounded by the things that you you geek on. Two, right. finding the things that you go the 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 prize that you want to bring home, and then right. three, getting an opportunity to to buy this picture as you say of of a favorite film, and there's Tom Savini right there that you can go over and sign it. Yeah, and get it signed. Um, I remember I've said it on the show before. Uh, uh. Seeing you know Roddy McDowell sign for a good eight hours, just signing and and not, never would he have ever accepted a tip or no, a, yes. a cost. Yes. If you had something in front of him, you know he wasn't going to provide the photo, but if you had the photo in front of him, he would sign it and you'd have your moment. And, yeah, um, and it's really bummed me out to see that how that's changed now where it just seems like you go to cons now and everything's monetized it, it, you know I think like I said before with the, the sort of the horror convention scene being saturated you know it's fun everybody's having their fun uh, you know people are making a living doing it but really it, it's become it, almost there's too many you know and because of that a lot of these folks who are in movies whether they're directors or actors um that's their that's their means of existence exactly for a good number of them so every you know and in a weird way they'll also get work from it because they'll see up-and-coming filmmakers who are willing to say i'll pay two grand to have to have uh this actor on my set for a day because i know i can put their name on the box it's it's definitely true you know and and um I talk to my friends a lot about the good old days of the uh, horror convention. And really, it was if you bought something. Say you wanted to get a signed um, 8 by 10 you, you bought that. But then if you had a couple other things, they would just sign it, you yeah. know. And it wasn't a thing. You didn't feel like you were, uh, you know, a trick, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> on 42nd Street. You know, you weren't getting nickel and dimed. Um, but really today, it's a, it's a definitely a much more commercialized vibe. It's like, a, you know, there's a process in many places. I go to like science fiction conventions and it's like meeting Shatner. There's a protocol. And you're like, there really is. It just feels grimy to me now um yeah I, yes. I, I saw there was an actress i forget her name um from walking dead she was she was doing okay. a, a walker stalker con this was in the this is all within the last year and she had okay. a sign in front of her that would say you know photos twenty dollars this photo dollars and then at the bottom it said meet and greet ten dollars yeah and a friend had asked what what does that entail 
and it's literally her saying hello and shaking your hand. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to pay the 10 bucks. Otherwise, yes. don't talk to her. She's very important. She's on The Walking Dead. Um, <laughs> I see that, and I just go, is this is this really fandom? It, it, you know, to a degree, I think that's what it's it has become, yeah. you know. And it's uh, I'm not sure, unless a lot of these shows start to tank, and they kind of go, the field goes fallow for a while, and then comes back, I don't see it changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sad, um, but yeah, it is. It does make you feel, for me, makes you feel grimy, you yeah. know. Um, you know, I just and remember, I, you know, I just remember there was a Fangoria convention in San Jose, California, and um, no one showed. None of the guests showed. Linnea Quigley oh was there, and Bruce Campbell was there, and I watched Bruce Campbell teach a class on pratfalling, and, uh-huh. and he was flipping in the air and landing on the ground and, you know, and they were doing whatever they could to entertain this crowd because of the con, yes. you know, and that, and you would never see that now. No, no. I, I don't want to sound like, like an old man on the porch, you know, but <laughs> uh, talking about salad days of, of con right, going, right. but um, it has, there's a mood that's changed. Yes. I would, you know, and, and, um, like you said, with that, uh, the actress from Walking Dead, yeah. you know, in some way, you know, you realize she is there, um, she is there to make her dollar. And I don't begrudge her making her dollar, but it, it, it definitely does feel like um, sucking the blood out of the <laughs> fandom. Like, literally, you can hear it, you know, in the air, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, and you do yearn for the the more simple days, you know? Um, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. Um, but going to these cons is where you can find a lot of the stuff that we were previously speaking of the, the little treasures that you would, you, yes. you find them They're They're in a box under the table. And, um, and those are my favorite things, you know, to find, like, yeah. I think more, you know, I have a lot of friends who vend at, you know, conventions, whether it's, Chiller Theater out here in New Jersey, Horror Hound in the Midwest, or Monster Mania in New Jersey, or what, whatever. And I think they say, because of how many they are, um, sort of the more unique dealer, the dealer who's maybe selling something that is not manufactured by the thousands, they're finding it harder and harder to compete with someone who is selling you know, an action figure or some sort of T-shirt, whether it's licensed or not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they they do want, you know, a lot of the fans do want some more of these somewhat more standard items, you know, that are collectibles, mm-hmm. so to speak. But, again, there are 10,000 of them or more, you know. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. It's so, like so. You, you you speak of T-shirts, and and that brings to mind you know um, uh, companies like Rotten Cotton and Fright Fright Rags and that kind of yeah. Thing. And they're they're tapped right into that vein of of like here's this here's the obscure little Italian zombie film yes, you know, yes. that 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 only you think you know about and right. it's 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 this weird. You know, dawning of the identity as as people pull their their t-shirts on. And it's very interesting. It, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, 
I love the garage, like the garage sale finds where you, it's yes. the old lady who had a box from her son and she's just getting rid of it now. And it's full of these toys that she doesn't really care about. And you open it up and it's like the grail. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, we, last weekend, um, you know, we live probably an hour away, hour and a half away from Pennsylvania Dutch country. Okay. And out near Lancaster. And that's where they have some of the great old flea markets and antique shows out here on the East Coast in Pennsylvania. And I really do love to find a horror magazine or some item, even if it's beat up. Yeah. If it just has, if it, you know, if it just has that vibe, and I realize it's very subjective, you know, I will love it more than something that is, you know, 10 of 10 quality, you know, looks like it has never been touched by human hands. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, like you said, I just love to find those little gems. Yeah, I just um, got and, into... And really, that's what I love more. I just got into collecting, um, uh, I call it tough guy fiction, the Matt Helm, okay. Don, mm -hmm. Don Hamilton. You know, if, if, if I'm looking through a box and there's a book with a guy with a gun next to his face, you know, looking mm -hmm. looking stern... <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Right. Um, uh, and it was one of those things where, where we live. It's a, I live in a fairly small town. And, uh, okay. uh, and as you're going through the local, you know, secondhand stores, mm -hmm. just, oh, oh, look at this. And it's, it, it's, it's true. It's a great, it's, it's a weird thing. It's, I can only sort of compare it to, it's, it's this drug kind of thing where, you know, like oh, the right yes. thing and it taps into that nostalgia. It taps into that, that dis sense of discovery. Awesome. I, I always say it's kind of like um, the pull to the hunt is very much like the treasure of the Sierra Madre. You know, <laughs> like you're, you're overtaken by this mania almost. Like I want to. I want to find that thing, you know, and even if it's just one thing, you really do, like, you can take a deep breath again, and, um, like, my wife loves to go to uh, yard sales, and for a while, I was sort of saying, uh, you know, it's just going to be junk, it's just going to be junk, uh -huh. you know, and she will always say, well, what if some old lady has, I'm a big Misfits record collector, you know, yeah. What if some old lady has her son's Misfits records? And it's like immediately, okay, you know, like the switch is flipped in my brain. It's like waving the the bloody rag under the nose of the hunting dog. You know, like get that smell, get that smell, and let me loose. And, uh, you know, it has not failed because I, I remember, and it's very similar to the horror thing, pre-eBay, pre-mail order, you would hear these stories of someone going into a Goodwill and finding a Misfit 7-inch for a dollar yeah. or something like that. And um, they're now worth hundreds of dollars, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. But you'd never it, sell them. Oh, no. Yeah, like, okay. I, yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Never. I, you know, and some, some things I do sell. You know, I'm not going to, like you said before, there's a degree to which you have to ask yourself as time goes on, how does this fit into the collection? You know, um, and if you can't properly, so to speak, curate it, you know, can if I can get a good dollar amount, like I, I, when I was a kid, I used to be big into Transformers or all sorts of other robot toys. And when I we moved into our house here, I got all my toys from my folks' attic, 
and I, I sold them on eBay, and I made a lot of money, you know, mm-hmm. to other guys who were still into them. And some friends who were also toy collectors said, how can you get rid of all those great toys? I'm just not into them anymore. You know, I'd like to put that money towards stuff that I am into. Right, right, right. Um, and it's just, it's almost like trading. You know, I love to trade. If I could have traded with the robot collector personally and say, you know, I will give you this, but I want that, uh, you know, Munster's toy that I yeah. want now, I would do that even more. But yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's hilarious. Uh, I'm I'm laughing because it's it's you're it's I'm hearing my thoughts coming out of your mouth. Um, <laughs> what I see interesting now in the especially now in the last two weeks is. Uh, uh, and maybe even longer than that, maybe three or four. Um, the anticipation leading up to the Halloween season at places like Michael's and Target, and and people are posting their videos of, this is my trip to Target, and and they're you know, photographing everything, and if I right, did, right. I, I you know I did it, um, I did it too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's almost like it reminded me a lot of like like fashion week, right? <laughs> Where it's like, right. Here, here's Target's new Halloween collection. Right. And, and we've always said that Halloween season for us isn't a, uh, a, it's the high holy days, but it, right. it's also a thing where it's home decor season. <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> we need new placemats. You know, we need new hand towels. It's, we need new uh, dishware. It's very much the truth. You yeah. know, we're, People come to our house and say, "Boy, you you started decorating early." Nah, no, 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 just no. Just have to nod and. <laughs> well, for us, you know. I, I love a patina of of dust on stuff. You know, as you yes. as the stuff's on yes. your shelf, and it just. Uh, well, uh, people, some might say it's because I'm lazy and I don't like to dust, but it right. just adds <laughs> this authenticity. It's like, no, 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 this isn't just something I bought and put up because it's Halloween. This has been here for years on my right. on my shelf, or or yeah, yeah. Uh, we really stopped. We really stopped decorating in the house. Like we used to have lights, you know, and things. Yeah. We're kind of just to the point where you know. Well, I, I see. Not us, needed. I see us butting up against like the idea that the people that like, oh, it's Halloween, let's uh, let's decorate and let's be spooky for you know three right, days. Right, right. And uh, I kind of have always equated it to an alcoholic looking at people drinking on New Year's Eve. It's like, <laughs> They're it's like, hikers. Yeah, you're They're... you're you're an amateur, dude. Uh, yeah, you're a tourist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you when you're when you're combing through embalming catalogs for you know <laughs> utensils and stuff, it's right. uh, it's uh th- then you can come talk to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you you spoke about eBay. Do you find that's also become kind of oversaturated, and and it's so difficult to weed through everything? You know what I mean? And the and the yeah, I I think you know, like when I was a kid, you would go to antique shows or flea markets, and you would find your monster stuff. You would find your crazy records. You would find your toys, or you know, just not not really related, but your tiki stuff, you know. Yeah. But as oh, I think as, it's related. I, th- I totally. Think oh yeah. I, I think the two of them are related. You know, you're kitschy, you're kooky, you know. Yeah. What any of that sort of uh, uh, underground thing, 
in years now, you, you, when you do see it, like there was a guy at the show we went to last weekend, he had all kinds of monster stuff. And I wanted to say to him, like, sir, what are you doing here? You know, like, <laughs> you could be at home, like everybody else just selling this on eBay. But I was so happy to see him there. And I actually told them, you know, I haven't seen someone selling this much concentrated monster stuff in a long time. Yeah. And I think it, it is true about eBay that now everything is on eBay and to a degree it it has blown the prices up uh-huh. absurdly. Yeah. And it, it is hard to find things because you, you are competing with other collectors. So the prices really do skyrocket and, and it's not a good gauge of what the thing is actually worth. Right, um, right. I agree with that. Uh, plus, it's uh, been this point where now, now everyone like geek has become cool, and 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 being yes. you know that guy has become cool. Uh, yes. And I see a lot of people. You know, Nick Cage owns a copy of Action Comics with the first Superman. Why? Because right. he's Nick Cage, and he can get away. Right. With, you know, he can afford that kind <laughs> of thing. Um, but that doesn't make him give him any cred in my book. You know what I mean? No, no. Just um, me. He had at a time he had money. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, taxes happen. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, so it's like buying cred, and, and I don't know how I feel about yes, that. I, I mean, I'm happy that they're involved. People like that, non geeks are involved, but uh, mm-hmm. you you get boxed out sometimes. It, you know what? I, I would agree a hundred percent. I see it. I see it with movies in terms of you know if you want to buy every single, say, Fulci movie, you can do so in five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, before you would have to really hunt for it. And, and there was a degree where it meant something, you know, you're putting forth effort, you know, um, and it's the same thing with records, you know, um, or, he- you know, I'm really into the, mm-hmm. the heavy metal thing. And um, I used to be a big record collector, but I just wasn't listening to them. Um, Especially when I had kids and everyone's jumping everywhere, you know, and the record slips, skipping endlessly. But, uh, you know, and, and but people are now, you know, buying records nonstop and it's so easy to find these things. Well, you know, so it's like YouTube. Speaking of music, YouTube, I was a big back in the day when I was a, I was working for Tower. I was a big mm-hmm. like I wanted to know everything you learned at Berkeley school, school of music in, the, in, in a five minute song. Um, yes. So, uh, I would collect these really, really rare, you know, bands like names you can't pronounce. Um, Samla's mama's mana is one and they're a great band, right. but, uh, now all of it is on YouTube. It, it, it you know, before you mentioned tape trading, yeah. Yeah, and then bringing it back to the the Misfits thing, I would have to tr- tape trade with people. Um, I would almost use horror movies like, as currency, you know, <laughs> bootleg tapes. Like, I want this live show you have. I want this interview you have. I will tape you X, Y, and Z in exchange for that, you know, this horror movie. Um, and you would be so thrilled, so psyched to find that, you know, Misfits interview from Detroit in 1982, you know. Mm-hmm. It's on YouTube. The whole thing is on YouTube, and it's in better quality than I ever saw it before. Right. So uh, it's on, a little... In, on one hand, I can see how it's a, it's a golden age for that stuff. 
because everyone has access to it now. Uh, on the yeah. other hand, it you lose that I think eureka moment. You know when you yes. when you flip open the um, you're you're going through the magazines and suddenly you come upon the Cinefantastique that's all about the first Conan movie. <gasps> What's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you know you you don't you just don't get that anymore. It, it, no, I, it, it makes me I don't want to say sad. Cause that's ridiculous, but uh, it, it does. I bemoan that because yeah, it's a different kind of fandom. It, it um, is, and uh, I, I miss it. You know, I, I I wouldn't say sad either, but it's a it's a similar vibe. You know, you you do wish you could have more of those moments. You know, yeah. Yeah. And um, I think you can't, I mean, the garage sale thing and, and that kind of thing, they're at, it's out there, but, yeah. um, you know, it's you got to spend some time doing it. Um, and I think because of eBay, if you're at a show and there are the guys who have the weird subculture items, they are comparing what they want to sell you it at the show to what it's listed on eBay or sold for on eBay, and it's an uh, unrealistic comparison. Right. Just because you're asking for something on eBay doesn't mean you're going to get it. Exactly, exactly. So it sounds to me like like you are a collector that is uh, – well, other than the Danzig stuff, which I think you are a completist, um, the uh, <laughs> – the, the, but you're not a completist. Like I don't need to, I don't need to own every single – you know, poster from my favorite film. It's uh, so. How, no, no. Is it is it purely nostalgia that that governs what makes the cut? Hmm. I would say, like, in terms of the Danzig thing, and, the, and you know, it's it's sort of related to the to the to the horror. Um, I just wanted one of of each. Yeah. You know. Um, and if I could get another one, like another version, like um, a second pressing or a different cover, et cetera, a different colored vinyl, then I would get it. But I just wanted one of each. So um, I, I know super collectors who want shirts that Danzig silk screened himself, or they are super collectors, and they are completists. Yeah. And um, I don't know how they did it financially, uh, just sheer willpower, but my, my hats are off to them. Um, in terms of the, you know, the, the horror thing, um, you know, I will get on Jags like where I want to finish off a set. Like there is a, um, a, an artist uh, on uh, his, his company called Friend Prices, and he did these great little statues. Of, it's like a universal monster head, but kind of like a 60s cutie lady body. Oh, cool. You know, and... Um, Don Picton is his name, and I just wanted one of each, you know, and they come in different colors, and I've seen people who I want to get all of them in red, then I want to get all of them in blue, and all of them in yellow. I just wanted one of each, just to have like a full set, you know, even if they were mismatched, I was fine with it. I might even like it more if because it's mismatched, you know, yeah. and I see guys doing that with... Uh, like the Marks Universal Monster statues from the 60s and 70s. Yeah. They want to have every single color. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy to have one run. If there's a, a black sheep in the mix there, I am okay with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just remember the uh, in the 90s, the uh, McFarlane Monster sets. Yes. And um, those, oh, those were something. 
we me I just remember rushing out to get my hands on those. They were really that was um, sort of opened the door to a next generation of figures that were more like statues, mm-hmm. you know. But really, you had to get you know. Hopefully, you got them because you loved how they looked. You loved the subject matter. You wanted to have it on your wall. And not buy it as an investment, because sure. I, I really think you had a rude awakening if you bought some of those as resale, because it's just not there. Yeah, it's just not. I mean, you may find the the, the super fan that just has to have them all in the whole yes, price, yes. But, but yeah, that's just not a, not a feasible no. plan. Now, another thing I want to talk about is the work you're doing for Ivan Press. Okay. Tell me about that. I've known Sean, you know, I, I first started um, buying tapes from him in, um, Black through Black is Heart Media. Yeah, yeah. By the way, we're, we're, talk, we're talking about Sean Lewis, uh, of, who runs Ivan Press, and he runs yes. Black is Heart Media. Yes, And is a great, he's been on the show. We talked about Fulci. Oh, okay. And it was great. We, he, had a, we had a great time. I had seen all these things on first Black is Heart Media website, and then when he started doing Rotten Cotton, um you know, just his convention reports, and he was cold-blooded, yeah. you know, and vicious. So I had I had been invited by Chaz Ballin to write something for the, I think it was the 15th anniversary Deep Red, and mm. it was the Texas Chainsaw Travelogue. And um, he, uh, Sean had sent me a bunch of magazines and stickers, and I was very psyched. I, I was very psyched to be involved, period, but I was very... I felt very well taken care of by Sean. Mm-hmm. And then I happened to see him out at the San Diego Comic-Con, I think it was 2004. And I'd never met him in person, but I had in my head all these memories of, you know, him taking pictures of people at conventions and just ripping them apart, you know. And, um, but he was the nicest guy, yeah. you know. It's very cool, just not, you know... I'm sure it's there in him, but just that you know, meeting him in person, it was a, it was a it was a different guy. Uh-huh. So we had just kept in touch, and he was um, he was very supportive of the writing I had been doing for Evil Speak. Um, he's a big fan of Evil Speak, and so I I mentioned to him, you know, if you ever need anything, you know, just let me know, and I'm I'd be ha- I'd be thrilled to work with you. And then he started doing Ibon. And he hit me up and said, I might have something I wanted you to do. And at first I thought it was going to be, because um, in the back of some of um, the Fulci comics he's been doing, there's like a little supplemental history aspect. Sure. So at first I thought it was going to be a mini article on what have you, you know, which I would have been happy to do because I, I just wanted to be involved. Right. But uh, it came up in the spring. He wanted me to do something for the first issue of his Maniac adaptation. And it turned out it was more of a creative thing. So that was, I was more than thrilled to do that. And basically what it is, is it's supposed to be as if um, Frank Zito was a real serial killer. What, was, what would his entry in a true crime book read like? Mm. So it was a it was a really fun assignment, you know. I was really happy to do it. I could really sink my teeth into it. Being a horror uh, fan, being a true crime fan, sort of mix of those two, you know, and and sort of write it in a way that it was um, more realistic, you know, 
so that that's the first assignment. Uh, be out in Maniac Number One. He loved it. Uh, Stephen Romano loved it. They made it look <laughs> unbelievable, you know, yeah. like some old CD true crime paperback. Um, so hopefully, there's there's only going to be more uh, from there. Is is Steve Romano doing the artwork? Um, the artwork's done by a gentleman. I think he's from South America, uh, Pat Carbajal. I, I apologize if, if that's not his. Um, okay. How you pronounce his last name? But I've been um, killing it. They're killing he is. it. Every everything that they have put out has not only been beautiful, but it's also been packaged like, like it's got fan written all over it. it you know, I, I always tell Sean that it's really next level horror comics because yeah. it really does. He, he, the thing is, is he is putting in all these extras for the fans for that sort of um, horror collecting, yeah, weird, that horror thing. I, I saw, like, weird chase cards that are being included in certain, you know, certain packaging. Yeah, and, yeah. And I think it's such a smart idea. Over, when it, you it look really at the longevity, of the, the, it, it on the big, the long haul, yeah, mm -hmm. it's so smart. It's so smart. Something he's doing with, um, his, you know, Maniac and then Laser Blast are going to be on an imprint called VHS Comics. Yeah. And something he's going to do with those two is have fake VHS boxes nice. to go with nice. the comic. And that really does, you know, it's sort of a, a tribute, you know, to the, the I, I think almost the, the more older school fans, even though VHS now is hot again and, you yeah. know, you see young kids collecting them. Um, but I think he, he really has put a lot of thought into what would be cool? What would he want to see? Yeah. And it's not, you know, he's, some of these DVD companies, they will put out a movie, you know, you mentioned before Popcorn, and not to, you know, lay that one out, but you'll see some films that you have seen a hundred times before, but they found some new interview, some new small extra, sure. and they're going to release it again, well, look, and they're going to gouge you, and it's just the big gouging. Well, the joke, um, the joke there is always Army of Darkness. Yes, that's in the dictionary next to this uh, topic. And um, Sean is asking a reasonable price for these books. Agreed. Um, and, I, and I say that from a fan's point of view. Um, so yeah. I, I think he's on something. I just think, yeah, he's just doing just, you know, the Lord's work in, in, in so many ways. Uh, yeah. Um, I also want to talk about Evil Speak. Evil Speak, are you, you're you're continuing to 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 write for them? Yes, I, I am. Evil Speak's put out by Billy Nasera and his wife Vanessa Nasera, and I've known Billy through um, more of the metal thing. He used to have, and it's still around, just not as as uh, active. He used to have a label called Razorback Records, and he did a lot of horror worshiping, sort of death metal or grindcore albums. Really, you, the sort of mixing of horror and that sort of extreme metal was not nearly as pre prevalent and common as it is now. And he was doing it because he was a horror fan and he was a heavy metal fan. So it was sort of spoke to me perfectly. And I started doing uh, lyrics for some of his bands, you know, after we became friends. And then probably a few years ago, he said that he and his wife wanted to start doing a horror magazine um, because I think he was getting a little dis dissatisfied with the music 
thing mm-hmm. and um, wanted to more go into the horror. So he asked me to come aboard, and that was issue one. And um, it's 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 been great ever since, you know, because you sort of, as a writer, um, I can write about what I want, how I want, you know. That is awesome. Um, and it, and it's really great. And he's been very supportive. The the feedback has been great. Um, so it, it's it's been a continuation a, of a long time friendship. Do they have a website? Is it just evilspeak.com or? I think it, they have a big cartel. You know, oh, one okay. of those. You can also look up the issues. They also sell the issues on Amazon. Oh great! Um, so you can look up either of those. Yeah, I missed that. And you brought. I wanted to go back to to a name that you dropped that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I, I made a note here. Chaz Ballin. Um, yes. Chaz is one of those guys who, man, everyone I meet, everyone I meet in, in genre that I feel knows their shit sooner or later drops Chaz's name. It, you know, it's the truth, I would say. Just a, a, you know? a legend. And I and I remember him being, meeting him at Fango Cons, and this was before I started writing for Fango, and uh, uh, super supportive and and... and free-flowing with um, the information. It was that whole, like, yeah. this fount of knowledge who's more than happy to just give you all that you need and give you, really set these markers, like, trust me, go look up Rodero Diodato. And you're yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't remember what the first work of his that I bought, but really he had such a voice that was almost like rock and roll. Mm-hmm. You know, it had a swagger. He had, you know, balls. He was not, he was not bragging at the same time. You know what I mean? It was almost like, this is what I think. I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm going to lay it bare. But this is how I think. I'm not going to tell you that this is gospel. You could think how you want. But, but it really did stick with me. And... Being invited, you know, I used to send him articles, some of these travel articles I had done for Chiller Theater magazine, uh-huh. and he would send me back these stickers or little, you know, uh, newest, smaller publication he was doing, and um, just was thrilled to get feedback from him, yeah. you know. So when he find when he invited me to write for Deep Red was validation, like right there. Oh yeah, you know I. I could have paid him to do it, you know. I wasn't getting paid. And at the time, I sort of was on, uh, I, I was sort of obsessed. And it's not a bad obsession, you know, mind you. I was, I was obsessed with writing for, for these bigger magazines in order to try to get money, you know. Uh-huh. And it really was not being, I was not feeling good about it because I was feeling, um, stepped on so to speak or yeah. you know crapped on by some of these editors so when chat you know, working with chaz was really sort of set me back on the right track almost yeah, yeah. it's that more yeah. of that we always talk about on this show about how there are people that we encounter in our lives that they're the ones that sort of give us a per, give us permission or in this case re-give us permission to, yes yes and uh and and they are to be treasured. Those are those are the people that really are, are life changing. I just remember reading Deep Red, going through it with a highlighter, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, remembering to this day, remembering words like chunk blower and 
Right. I still try to use some, you know, when, when it works my favorite, as a tribute, you know. Yeah, my favorite Balanism is uh, this film really delivers the groceries. I, I was just thinking of that. That's yeah, probably my favorite. I, I love um, that. I love it's, and, and again, uh, just meeting him at cons and and seeing him and there was always a joy to it I remember and um, when we started the magazine I would I gave him a bunch and I just remember him okay. saying like, this is really nice and I'm like you know that those those are those yeah. heavy moments again where you just go god yeah. damn god damn I only got to meet him once at a chiller theater out here and I had I weighed there was some kid in front of me and I had a stack of like two feet tall of magazines books even records that he had done covers on. And he mm-hmm. was unbelievably gracious, you know, very psyched that I was so into it, you know. Um, and, he, you know, he was like a lumberjack. Yeah, you know, he's huge. huge. I'm like five foot seven. In the picture next to me, I look like, you know, next to him, I, I look like a dwarf, you yeah. know. I want to say he's got to be like six four, six five. Yeah. And like, bar- you know barrel chested yeah. you know like a big guy yeah. but unbelievably i would say almost gentle you yeah. know in in his own way yeah. you know we we brought up chaz a lot on the show we talked with sean about it and with, you know when heather was doing the show we would we would talk about him a lot and i again i don't meet many people that i respect that don't when that his name comes up it's like you know Harryhausen or or these different right. names. Forey is another one. Names that the people just go, oh yeah, that's something. Um, yeah. Before we go, we we get out of here because uh, I don't want to take you know too much of your day. Um, I want to talk to you about something that I when we had Chad Savage on for Haunted Attractions. Um, you're a parent, mm-hmm. and and it's you're you're on a very very short list of people. I think Sean Lewis is on that list. Chad Savage is definitely on the list. Who have raised, who are raising their children in what I want to call a horror-friendly environment. Um, I want to get your thoughts on that, and I want to get your thoughts on on how do you decide? I mean, your your little ones are little. Um, yeah. Uh, how do you dole this out? You know, and not, as my wife always says, not fuck up your kids. <laughs> well, I lo- I really enjoyed that Chaz Savage. Um, or Ch- I'm sorry, Jack Savage yeah. interview for that very reason. You know, hearing his thoughts because I think his kid is almost in high school or is in high school, mm-hmm. um, and just seeing other thoughts. You know, and, and and they were sort of, you know, my old our oldest is nine. She'll be ten in March. We have four year old twins who'll be five in January. You know, so just to hear someone who's been there a little longer, and even you know looking at. Um, you know, the issues of, of old issues of Carpe Noctum where your daughter would be on the cover. And I would see, like, the family do, mm-hmm. in this. And I was in college, you know. We weren't even really thinking of kids. But to see this, um, see that you can have everybody involved. Um, I, I think it, it, it's, it's something we've come to is that everything in due time, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are elements of horror or spooky stuff, creepy stuff that's, that is appropriate for kids as, as they're ready to deal with it. You and know? that always like, changes, you know what I mean? Like, like it, it is even, true. I, it would is be, true. I would venture to guess that even in your case, you have a perfect scenario because you have twins. 
how yeah. the twins respond to, to stuff, I think it would be a fascinating thing to look at. It's it's some of them or one of them may want to go in in the the atmospheric ghosty direction. One may want to go into the right. hardcore, you know, and, and they're going to take their their steps. My daughter, um, there was a point in her early teens where she rejected all things horror because it was such right. a part of her life. Um, right. she, she's <laughs> since come back around, you know. Right. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, and to know that all of that is okay, that yeah, you know, it's it's, the, it's them expressing their individuality in, in a way that they for sure they, they can try to. Um, yeah, we would never want any of our kids to do it just because, like, we would bend their arm to do it, you know, because right. that would it would just it would just suck, needless to say. Um, and you know, people I think to a degree expect, you know, oh, are your kids, you know, sitting there watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre at five? No, right. they're watching the monsters. What you know, like, what a five-year-old kid is ready to process, you know? It's so funny. We went. I had gotten passes when Beetlejuice came out and I thought okay. this is perfect right I think I want to say my son was four or five maybe okay um and I remember getting just the side eye from from my wife because it was one of those things where she kept saying like I think this is too much for him I think it was too much and and mm -hmm. know, I didn't know anything about parenting <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? And yeah. there's, there's always going to be those mis those whoopsies, you know, where you go. Yeah, Ugh. no, for sure. But I also want to say about how important it is to have someone there on the couch, if for no other reason, to, you know, during uh, I don't know about a nightmare before, uh, nightmare on um, Elm Street, but just to reaffirm the morality there, saying like, well, that guy's. He's not a hero. Freddy Krueger is not a hero. Right. No, no, no. Um, yes. And hearing that from a parent and while they experience in it and sort of making it okay is um, – I remember with, with my son, it was like he, he had heard about Texas Chainsaw and it was like, you know, he came to me and wanted to see it. And I said, you know, do you think you're ready? Because you, you know better than me. And right. And we ended up waiting another year or so before we finally sat down and watched it. Now, the Godfather, I strapped him into a chair, <laughs> like Clockwork Orange style. Um, like your... catechism classes. Or... <laughs> the, uh, the, um, and, and it seems like for you guys, it's an all-family thing. Everyone, I mean, I see pictures on you post on Facebook of you, your wife and your, you and your kids out garage sailing and, and getting right. and collecting and do they have their do they each sort of have are they developing collections of their own oh yes definitely <laughs> and um you know to, to different extents you know like my daughter um our oldest daughter definitely i would say yes you know she has a little thing in her room with all her little treasures and she's always looking for things and she just wants to find that one cool little treasure and our son, you know, just wants to amass himself with, you know, more things. And that might just be your average, you know, four or five-year-old kid, you know. Right. Um, and our other daughter as well. But I think it's just they're just exposed to it so much that to a degree it's going to be inevitable. Either, again, my sister is a minimalist. You know, if she sees too much stuff, like, she starts to get, like, a twitchy eye, you know. <laughs> and um, I think she went in the other direction, you yeah. know, than my folks. So maybe one of our kids will be like that, you know. But, um, 
you'll you can't tell at this point, you know. Well, and they're uh, living in the house, right? Right. So, so all of the the your collection is out on proud display, and and yeah, they, they can't it can't help but color all of that. I just think it's right. I think you guys are doing a great job, and I think that oh, it's, thank you, I appreciate it. It's it's uh, I love seeing that. I love seeing people who are raising kids that 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 get it, and um, yeah, it, I think it's absolutely awesome. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to talk more. Just one last thing about. Sure. What what you've got coming up next? Your you you your Maniac One has been written, it's done, it's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's going on sale next week. Ah, that's awesome. Uh, are you working on anything else that you can talk about, or? Um, I'm I'm working on the articles that will be in uh, Evil Speak Number Six, which is um, one of them is going to be sort of a killer confession, so to speak double feature of uh, Sadus of Notre Dame slash Exorcism and uh, Tenebrae. Oh, nice. One of them is going to be sort of the Japanese Gothic double feature nice. with the uh, horrors of Malformed Men and the Blind Beast. And then a third one that I'm still sort of, that's still sort of gestating. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, they, that'll be Evil Speak number six. Do, and you're giving, you're just giving what, a page count? Like I, you got six pages, fill it. You know, the, the the humorous thing is, is that I'm not given a page count. So I had a uh, I had a Blind Dead retrospective, and every, you know all the, all the other writers or fans like sort of lovingly joke about it that it was probably 25 percent of the whole magazine, you know. <laughs> and I will joke around that you know um, each article I want to be bigger, I want to take up more page count, you know? <laughs> but I try not to. I, you know, I want it to be in-depth. I want it to be exhaustive, but I don't want it to be like reading uh, stereo instructions. You know, as a writer, you know, you want to keep things moving. You know, you want to say what you need to say, but um, so so really they've been great in that. Um, and my wife always jokes that you love being able to just have your say, yeah. you know. So I've never met uh, a dollar word that I have not liked, you know, or a convoluted sentence or, you know, a uh-huh. labyrinthine sentence, you know. Um, so it's been good. Yeah, um, it's, I lo- the freedom is great. Well, I, and I, Plus, I love that just casually, as you're mentioning the articles you're working on, you're dropping heavy, deep cuts. And it, it yes. lo- I love the idea of leading people to um, things they may not have heard of. Blind Beast right. is amazing. Yes. Um, and again, most of the time I run into horror fans, and you st- and you 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 you'll never get there, right? Um, uh, yeah, you, you need- know, like some of these some of these movies that you know have, people have been ri- written about them for thirty years, you know, and mm-hmm. what more can you say about a Texas Chainsaw as great as it is, mm-hmm. or Dawn of the Dead, or even Evil Dead? Like, what more is there to say? So I, I really like to write about these. Some of these that, that I feel haven't been sort of worshipped enough, you know, or at least give my two cents on them. Right, right. You know. Well, I, I've been doing this movie a day review thing on my website. Yes, and, yes. And, it, and it's one of those things where it's like this stuff deserves um, attention. And I I get so frustrated because, you know, I go to cons and whatever and I talk with people. And if you're not talking about the big 
I don't know, five or six, they're just not interested because it no, doesn't. No, that, that is true. Yeah, and it's so it's when I hear someone drop a name like Blind Beast, I go, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I need to move this peg up a notch now, and, and uh, <laughs> I think it's so important. Well, that's awesome. So once again, uh, go to Ivan Press's website to order all that stuff. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's good. Cool. Thanks, buddy. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Um, I appreciate you Thank coming you, on. Thank you, Tom. And, um, oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, I'm going to include on the website um, the tour video. Okay. Um, so that people can actually see some of the stuff that you have that we were talking about. Um, we will be back in just one second. And we're back. So I am now joined by Kat Carnell, and she's going to do the second hour with me, and we're going to talk about some news and stuff like that. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. <laughs> uh, we normally talk about some deaths, so we're going to go through those one at a time, and I just want to get your opinion on a couple of these. Um, the first one's a little obscure. Her name was Anne Wyazemski. She was the muse for Jean-Luc Godard. Not a surprise she's she's died because she's fairly old, but um, it's one of those marking the passing thing. Were you ever a Godard fan? Mm, I can't say that I was. Yeah, you you got that in film school though, yeah, when you were there, sort of, kind of. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the rest of these are fairly well known. So um, we'll start with comedian Ralphie May. Yeah. Forty-five. Uh, very sad. Um, I guess he had contracted pneumonia, and that ended up putting him into a, uh, a state where his heart was able to go. He was a big boy. He had always been a big guy, mm-hmm. and it's not an exactly a surprise. Um, I did hear a story this week that I thought was interesting, that um, he was in Doug Stanhope's... Stan, Doug Stanhope has a death pool, and Doug had... <laughs> I know. Where uh, Doug had Ralphie on the on the on his pool and then he took him off because he felt bad and then Ralphie May was actually offended that he was taken off his his death pool so I thought that was kind of funny 
Um, and then the next three are fairly big. Monty Hall. Oh, yeah, I grew up with that guy. Yeah, let's make a deal. <laughs> What's behind curtain number one, two, and three and all that stuff? Do people even know about Monty Hall anymore? Well, I think so. There's been a couple of reboots, and you know, they've, they've tried their hand at additional versions of Let's Make a Deal. Um, but I think it was really a, a kind of a product of its time. There was a naivete about dressing up in a funny costume and getting picked out of a crowd. Right, exactly, and then plus all the corny jokes that go along with the right. show like that. All the punny co costumes and stuff. Yeah. Um, Hugh Hefner, that was a big one. I didn't exactly s not see that coming. Uh, yeah, and it's, I don't know, I'm on the fence about that guy, so that's yeah. probably for another show. <laughs> <laughs> but there was, there was always, there's a split camp, I think. On one camp, they they laud him for doing things like putting black artists on Playboy After Dark and a lot of other stuff, uh, furthering civil rights in some way, meanwhile, utterly objectifying women and, and, and the whole Playboy culture was not exactly progressive in that regard. Well, yeah, and I mean, as a former publisher, it's people like him and, you know, Larry Flint really paved the way for for us to be able to publish things that, you know, were not mainstream, even mm -hmm. even though, like, I mean, you know, dark art isn't, you can't really compare that to, uh, to you know, n nudie mags or whatever, right, but right, still, right. like, it's there. Well, the one you, thing you I've always... You have to support... I, I agree. Uh, the one thing that I... I have always supported, of the two of them, him and Larry Flint, Larry Flint was at least honest about what he was doing. Well, he yeah, calls exactly. himself a pornographer. And, yeah. and Hugh Hefner never really embraced that. It, it was always something else. So, um, But again, it was, it's, a, it's one of those, those people that are seemed ever-present. And, um, and then he was gone. But again, this is a man that was in his 90s, so... Yeah, I'm surprised you lived that long. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised too. Uh, and then finally, the one that really surprised me with how much it rocked people was Tom Petty. Well, mm, yeah, I've been listening to Tom Petty for uh, like 30-something years, mm -hmm. and you don't really realize it and until something like that happens, and it's like, oh, you go back and look at, at the catalog, and it's just like, he just kept on making record after record after record. It's mm -hmm. pretty prolific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For decades. And, and just hit after hit. And you forget. A lot of hits, yeah. You know? And uh, influenced a lot of people. And uh, have other side projects. So it was like, I, I don't know, I think it's a pretty big deal. Um, I, I mean, I would say like up there with, you know, Prince Stein and... Uh, Bowie mm. in in many ways for a lot of for some people I mean especially yeah. if you lived in like Florida and that kind of thing well I mean you know it's it's like again it, it's it's southern rock it's but it's pop it's I don't know he's mm -hmm. he really is all over the place or was yeah. all over the place and then with the stuff with the traveling Wilburys yeah. and, and everything else um, the thing that broke my heart about all of this was I guess in one of the ne one of the next to last or last interviews they asked him, he had said that he wasn't going to tour as much, and they asked him what did he, what was he looking forward to, and he was saying, like, I just want to get off the road so I can spend time with my kid. Yeah. And, and then he dies on the road. I, I honestly feel like a lot of times your body just goes, okay, like, this is the point where I can 
I can rest. Mm-hmm. Like, it's over, the stress is over, and it's like, ah, and then you either get really sick or something <laughs> crazy happens yeah, yeah. to never, you. The it's key, not, I guess, is never to retire. No, yeah, never stop. That's yeah, it was it was surprising because it, it, what I was seeing on social media was not just a, people of a certain age, but it was he was affecting younger people and, and people that were older and, and all of that stuff. And so it sort of speaks to the the um, the breadth of the man's appeal. Definitely. So let's see. Going on to some news, we'll just go through these really quick. Todd, Mc, Todd McFarlane has confirmed that the filming on the R-rated Spawn film that he's directing is has begun. And I, and when this first this news first broke, I I asked the question then, and I'll ask the question now: Is are people really clamoring for a new Spawn film? Well, I I think that you don't know what you want until it's shoved down your throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. You know, and it seems like I I wonder about McFarlane because it's like he puts so many of his eggs in that spawn basket that it's like, is that all you got? You know. Well, if something worked for you once pretty well, yeah, maybe it's not like he needs the money. I understand Bloomhouse is helping to finance it. He's sort of pitching in a little bit there, here and there, and so we'll see what happens. Um, But there's he's saying it's going to be super dark, so. That would be cool. I, I mean, you know, I love to watch a good action film. You like turn your brain off and mm-hmm. be bedazzled. And I think for a lot of people, that's what movies are. So Right, right. right. So maybe it'll work. Um, for a long time, there was a talk of a Gambit film in play with Channing Tatum as Gambit. It looks like they're talking with Gore Verbinski, who did the first Pirates of the Caribbean, um, to direct. Um, it's a, it's a superhero movie, personally. I don't know that I care. I like Gambit. Yeah, it's a great character, <laughs> I agree. I do like Gambit. And, uh, I don't know if they can have that, the swashbuckling and the fun and the, you know, mm-hmm. the sassiness of, uh, I think Channing Tatum's a good pick. I do think that's a, a, a solid bit of casting in a world where sooner or later everyone gets assigned a Marvel or a DC superhero. Exactly. So, you know, if you're going to tag one, he's charming and he's funny, and so he might be, He, I think he could pull it off. I don't know about Gore Verbinski, though. I, I mean, the Pirates was one thing, but this isn't exactly, you know, high, Adventures on the High Seas. This is, um, it's more... Uh, capery than that, more superhero-y than that, and I don't know if that he'll be able to translate. Um, there was a bunch of news out about this, I guess despite the failure of the Tom Cruise mummy film, Bill Condon, who did Gods and Monsters, is moving forward with this Bride of Frankenstein thing. It was on, there was talk about Angelina Jolie as the bride, then the studio said that they pulled the plug because of script rewrites, and now the director is saying um, that he's also looking at Gal Gadot. Now, I don't know how much of that is just trying to make news and trying to keep a, a hope alive. Yeah. But this universal monster universe is just, it, it can't get any traction. It just... Um, that, yeah, that's too bad. I honestly would not like to see Angelina Jolie. Yeah, and, well, they're doing... Um, I, I have a note here. I'll just mention it now because we were talking about it. Um, Joaquin, Ron, Joaquin Ronan is directing Maleficent 2. I was underwhelmed with Maleficent. 
Yeah, I think it, it, it looked it great. Eye candy. Yeah, 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 yeah I yeah, love. Yeah. I, I had a lot of um, not high hopes, but like they they took it in some ways that I just mm-hmm. did not like. Hey, the whole the 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 idea of her having had wings once and then being stolen um, was was I think it was interesting. I think that you know it's a fine enough film, but I just don't know that people like that. Now that she's directing, she has a new Netflix thing called First They Came, First They Killed My Father or something like that, um, about Vietnam. And she's directing now, so I don't know why, other than star power or I need a paycheck. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, I love that movie, though. So we'll, we'll, I'm, I'm optimistic. I remain optimistic, and I loved Guns and Monsters, so I'm, I'm at least optimistic a, a, a little bit in the hopes that they can pull it together. Um, in light of the recent shootings in Las Vegas, New York Comic Con is this weekend, and they pulled all of the Punisher panels. That's frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that that was really the answer, the proper answer. I mean, I get why they might have done it, because of, there's a lot of gunplay in, in the new Punisher trailer. Um but I don't know that pulling it from the Comic Con is going to change anything. Yeah, I I don't know. I I honestly feel like it's that was a bad call. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, stuff is planned already, and and whether or not you show, you have panels on the Punisher isn't going to change what's going on in exactly. the country I today. Agree. I agree. And you know, if any, if if I think the smarter money would have been to use that Punisher panel as as a platform from which to say maybe something salient about about the tragedy. Well, and, and, and then they would have got criticism for, you know... Yeah, you're fucked no matter what you like, do on yeah. this. So just move ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you're always going to... You know, you have 50-50 chance of making the, right, the wrong choice. So. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what they did. They just said... Stick with what you're already doing. Sure. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um, creators of Westworld have hinted at medieval and Roman worlds in the next season. That's kind of neat. I really like Westworld a yeah. lot. Um, there was talk about... Samurai World at some point too. And I thought the whole second season was going to take place in Samurai World, um, but Roman World. I mean, it's all in the second Westworld film, so why not? Um, I and I agree. I, I I'm not a big fan. As listeners know, I'm not a big fan of TV, and I didn't make it through all the way through Westworld. But what I saw there was top flight. Yeah, it was so good. I I did watch it a couple of times and um, just. From the storytelling where um, it's not linear, I mm-hmm. thought just was really fantastic because you really lost. Right. And you could be at any point in time in that world. And, it, and I just loved all the discussion online about, like, is he this guy? Is he that guy? What What's the relationship here or there? You know what I mean? Right. Well, and again, it's like... Y- it opens it up to let any of the characters that you liked that they disposed of could come back at any time, mm-hmm. but any point in the series. So you're not like, oh, it was a dream sequence, or oh, they just brought the the guy back. They just bring him whatever. out of cold storage. But it's like, the, you know, you can go back in time and forth. Yeah. So I I really dug it. Yeah, I, I just love the way they handled it all. It was it was really well done. Um, Fox is doing a Bob's Burgers movie. <laughs> which I would think, based on the success of the Simpsons movie, which wasn't successful, but I, I think they should stay. They, they would have stayed away from this kind of a thing. Um. Yeah. I don't. I think that 
30 minutes at a time is great, but mm -hmm. when you start trying to apply like a 90 minute time frame, two hour time frame, yeah. I, I think you're you're gonna have lagging, lag time. It's so not all gonna be like, yeah, cracking, you know. Exactly. Uh, this is kind of weird. They're doing a Venom movie with Tom Hardy, which I don't understand. But but what I further don't understand is that the script is written by the is being written by the guy who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Does Tom Hardy have kids that he's trying to make a cool movie for? <laughs> no, I think he has dogs, you know. And they just announced that Jenny Slate from Broad City is going to be in it, and that doesn't make any sense. Um, it's a Venom film, so I don't know that they're legally allowed to use Spider-Man in this. So mm. I don't know what they're going to do. It, it just it just reeks of a bad idea. Um, but we'll see. Uh, speaking of Hugh Hefner, um, Jared Leto is in talks to be in a in a Hugh Hefner movie, um, and I'm kind of okay with that. And then I learned that it's being directed by Brett Ratner. Who did like the first rush hours and is, is renowned for being being pretty terrible. Yeah, I'm not really interested in that. Um John Hamm is cast as Archangel Gabriel in Good Omens, the Good Omens movie that's being done, the from the Terry Pratchett um book. Uh David Tennant's in it. Um, Neat. Yeah. Looks good. Uh Terry Gilliam's Don Quixote is coming out summer of 2018. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, I know. I keep waiting. <laughs> more and more and more and more. Uh, the rest of these are pretty quick. Um, Batman Ninja anime coming from the guy who direct or created Afro Samurai. A, it's Batman. B, it's Afro Samurai, which I thought was pretty cool. I'm kind of on board. It depends on how, if, how big of a bite they take. You know, yeah, it's that's out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> uh, Luke Besson says that the script is written for Lucy too. I love Luke Besson. I do too. I, I don't know that we need another Lucy, Lucy too. too. <laughs> yeah, no. And it, I liked I liked it when essentially it was uh, Ghost in the Shell, right? Are they gonna have an Asian actress playing the ScarJo <laughs> part? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, Jackie Chan has hinted that Rush Hour 4 is happening. Does it happen in an old folks' home? Yeah, it should. <laughs> with walkers. Yeah, but you know what? Rush Hour 4 with I will walkers. say this. Next next Friday, Jackie Chan and Pierce Brosnan are in a movie called The Foreigner. That looks really, really good. Um, Jackie Chan is a father whose daughter is killed in a bombing and he feels like the police aren't doing enough. Right, 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 right. And it just looks super good. Um, super excited about that. Uh, the Tick is getting a second season on Amazon. Oh, I missed the first season. Yeah, I haven't seen any of it. I, it's hard for me because Patrick Warburton I, is so ingrained so, in my yeah, head. And this just doesn't seem to be the same. Um but, you know, it's it's doing well. And then finally, in an interview, uh, Keanu Reeves has confirmed that there's a script for Bill and Ted 3. Stop it. <laughs> well, when you hear that it's a, supposedly it's about in the future, not the future future, but in their future, um, they still haven't written the song that's going to change the world. And so the pressure's on. And it just sounds really dumb. Yes, 100% not interested. And that's too bad. Yeah, I mean, it, the first one was fun because like it was novel and it was goofy and mm -hmm. 
you know, yeah, you didn't really know who those guys were. And right now, it's like, well, it just it seems like Keanu Reeves has done everything he could since Bill and Ted Two to d- sort of push that aside. It's like I'm a serious actor. I do action films. I do these kind of films. I do Matrix. To return to that, and you know, you you worked so hard to get away from whoa, dude, well, and now you're yeah. back. And it's funny because I was watching Constantine last night. Actually, oh okay, because I love that movie. I don't know. It's I won't say it's a guilty pleasure because there's a lot about it that is actually good. Mm-hmm. Oh, Peter Stromar, yeah, Tilda no, Swinton. There are a lot of good performances, and it's beautiful, but. Um, I was talking to somebody about it, and she was saying she would not watch Constantine because she Keanu Reeves is a terrible actor, and I'm like, no, no, this is like really actually a great role for him, <laughs> and and you know even if you're like John Wick is also you know within his acting mm-hmm. capabilities, but I said just forget about that he ever made Bill and Ted because you know that's just ridiculous, and now he's coming out with <laughs> Bill and Ted Three, and it's like. Damn it! I'm trying to defend you. <laughs> I know. I know. You're making it hard. Well, for every for every though with this guy, for every John Wick that he does, he does this. What, what was this movie that he did recently? Knock Knock about the two girls that come to his house and they try to set him up in some weird thing, and it just it just seems like pandering. Um, and you're at a position. He's at a position now where he shouldn't be pandering. He should be doing exactly what he wants to do. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So that's that. Not a lot of stuff this week. Uh, moving on to trailers. Um, a lot of stuff. We just sat and watched all of these, and it. I hope it, it didn't seem like too much of a <laughs> compressed kind of thing. But the first one I want to talk about is something called Ajin Demi Human. It's Japanese, sort of a CG explosion kind of a thing, where um, it, if I'm ga- gathering from the trailer certain people are able to reset their lives. They can shoot themselves yeah. in the head and be reborn or, or like something. Like a lot of video game. Yeah. It seems very sad. It did seem sad. And it yeah. also seemed yeah. very... You, I think you hit it right on the head. Was It just seemed like a video game come to life. Yeah. And it's like to just spend the entirety of ex- your existence just battling someone and then once you die, you come right back. I'm like... The graphics looked interesting, but yeah, I don't know. The cut, I think a lot of it was the cutting style of the of the video. And remember, you can go to our the, our Facebook page, and there's a, a play or a, a playlist of all of these in in a row. The next one is a film called um, Bloodstripe, which was about a returning female war veteran. Interestingly, I noticed um, in the trailer, Renee Aubergenois is in there, who was in. Um, the Space Little Nine, Mermaid. The Little Mermaid <laughs> and all that other stuff. But uh, he's directing this, and it looks like uh, a solid drama. Yeah. And I'm kind of interested. I It looked really interesting. Uh, there was a couple of questions I had about which way the plot was, mm-hmm. was going, but um, I think it's something I will check out. Yeah, I mean, it's I don't know, as we like to say here, like I, I don't know that I'm going to rush out to see it in cinema. But when it appears on my Netflix queue, going to be added. If it okay. appears on HBO, it's going to be added. Next was a uh, documentary called Intent to Destroy, Death, Denial, and Deception. It, it's about the Armenian Genocide in 1915, but it also looked like it was discussing them trying to make a film about this. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. Um, just 
attempting to film the documentary where they were not able to film it where they wanted to, like, on location. So well, they had to recreate. Right. I, I got from it, it was a document, the film is a documentary on them trying to make this film because the dude that plays, I forget the Star Wars name, but he's in Star Wars. He plays the pilot dude and he was in Ex Machina and that kind of thing. He's in that and at one point one of the talking heads is Eric Bogosian from Talk Radio. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm interested. I had heard tales of how horrific comparing it to like the siege of Nanking, uh, Nanking and a couple of other atrocities in the past. And so I think anytime we can drag that stuff into light. Well, I definitely, as I get older, <laughs> um, I really find the value in historical mm-hmm. uh, filmmaking. Yeah. Films. Or at least in talking about the stories that have happened that may, yeah. you know, we people forget that this this stuff has, has gone on. Well, especially nowadays, I think you don't realize how important it is to know about those things until you're sort of repeating it. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that the isn't that the truth? Next up uh, from Netflix, it looks like a horror comedy called The Babysitter, directed by McGee. At first, I got this impression for you, like, why is he showing me this weird uh, sex <laughs> comedy? Like, yeah, well, it's. I'm like, oh, is this one of these dumb, like, 80s remake, of, yeah. you know, whatever, hijinks, but... The Girl Next Door or whatever yeah, else. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah, know, yeah. but, um, yeah, it looked like an interesting take on it. Still, uh, kind of, I don't know, goofy. I don't know that I would go out of my way to see this. No. Uh, but it can't I, be as bad as Zombievers, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it just takes this wild turn at the end. Uh, you know, it reminded me kind of. It felt a little like uh, uh, James Gunn produced um, Belkin Experiment and and that sort of thing, where the film takes a hard left all of a sudden and it turns into something completely different. Um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, next up was a documentary on Jane Goodall. Which yeah, that looks fantastic. It looks fantastic. Philip Glass doing it's the like music. It's like a hundred hours of unseen footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, it they showed a lot from the early mm-hmm. her early work. So and it seemed like she was being forthcoming in all of it. It wasn't like you know she was she was being coy about it. She was seeming to be like people didn't want me out there because of. I was a woman. Well, I that's wasn't not trained. surprising, yeah. considering it's like what fifty years ago. Yeah, it was in the sixties. I want to say sixties, seventies. Yeah, it's yeah. a while. Ago. <laughs> um, next up was another Netflix thing because Netflix is killing it. It, it. it was called Dark. It was about child murders um, in Germany. It's being heavily compared to Stranger Things. Oh, that's what I was wondering as it uh, started on. Without any of the nostalgia and none of the humor. This thing looks really grim. Yeah. And I'm kind of interested. I, I think it, it, as long as there's, we know, know how I feel about TV, but um, as long as there's not, it doesn't tarry on too long, I, I'm kind of down. So is that a series then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, after that, let's see, Glenn Close, Julian Anderson in an Agatha Christie, what? It looks great. Crooked House, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of this is being driven by this new Kenneth Branagh Murder on the Orient Express, mm. and a, and I am all for a renewed interest in Agatha Christie. Yeah, I agree. Plus, like Julian Anderson in a a black bob. That yeah, that's hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Glenn Close just yeah. It just looks like 
a sleuth, quote-unquote. There's unquote. a couple other people. There's, there is. The, the girl from Mad Men is in there and, and a couple of other people. Um, but it looks just like, you know, sleuth comes to a house where there's a family and they're all rich and they're all eccentric and he's trying to figure out. Um, well, and plus they're, they're smart. Like, it's a smart... So, like, there should be a lot of really good dialogue in mm-hmm. there. And you even seen that. There's just snappy repartee yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after that, um, trailer for the new Woody Allen film called Wonder Wheel. Yeah, I don't watch Woody Allen anymore, and it's almost like he knows that he's slipping, so he put Justin Timberlake in there just for, like... <laughs> but then again, but if you look at the cast, he's, he's got Jim Belushi yeah, in no, there. He's he's got, that is a good cast. Like, I just... I don't know. I am not a Woody Allen fan. Yeah. And, uh, it's pretty. It's very colorful. It's not... It, it seems like it's it's telling the story, but not forgetting the fact that there's a sense of humor in there somewhere. Yeah. Plus, like, Kate Winslet. Wow. I yeah, mean, she looks great. I don't even recognize her. Um, I did... There, at one point, two gangsters show up, and they're right out of Sopranos cast, and you just go like, can we think a little outside of this box? But... Okay, you know it's a period piece. It's sort of set on um, on a on a boardwalk, let's say Coney Island or something like that. Uh, up next was a sci-fi film called The Beyond. Uh, could not care less about this. Uh, it was the one about finding the wormhole, and they, right. you know, it just seemed like a lot of. It felt like people like the arrival. And let's do more yeah, of that. Well, talking about like first contact. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's even a moment where you see this thing and it sort of spreads out black and inky, like it did in, in the arrival. So, I think anytime you've got a surprise hit like the arrival, there's going to be people that go, "Oh, we can do that too," and, and they're going to try to get some of that. Speaking of canneries, the next film called Replicas has to do with cloning. I want to say, and t- correct me if, if if you don't agree with me on this, Keanu Reeves the um, the fountain. It felt like the fountain. His wife is dead or dying, and he's trying to bring her back, and he's trying to save her. And in this case, he's using cloning and um, robotics or something. Um, it looks. I thought it looked interesting. It's there's no way it's the fountain. <laughs> yeah, which it, I really loved. It did look interesting. I do not want to see Keanu Reeves in this movie. <laughs> I know. Like I yeah. would, I would have rather seen someone else. Again, it goes back to what I was saying about, uh, you know, Constantine and, mm-hmm. and movies like that. I he's, just feel like if he's trying to do some deep acting, it yeah, it'll be lacking. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah I, I agree. There, are, he's one of those actors that if he chooses his roles carefully and he realizes his own limitations, he's great. Yeah. Well, and there's so much moral, um, yeah, you yeah. know, quandary, and I don't know. This is going to be. He's going to need to do a lot of emoting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and not get bogged down in all the exposition. Because yeah. sooner or later you're going to have to offer up some science. Uh, let's see. The Secret Life of Lance Lesher. It, it's a documentary on a is collagist a word? He makes collages. Right. But more importantly, I think this film really looks at the the creative process. Yeah, and kind of his headspace. <laughs> yeah. Doing like 
when you're looking at that the fine detail that he puts in it that's mind-blowing mm -hmm. like so much OCD oh yeah 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 he's cutting out little slivers of paper and putting them together yeah. into this weird ah. <clears throat> I think I, it's I know at least one artist who is like this yeah yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and you know this kid this, like... this man is so firmly on the spectrum and he's and he the rest of his life is undoubtedly a shambles because it's I, all about yeah, creativity. I, I'm very interested in it. Looks great. A um, couple more. Roman Israel Esquire. Denzel Washington in, in a semi-fat suit with a groovy 70s score. So is that set in the present? or I is think it, it's like... It, it is set like it might, I don't know. I, I could see it both ways. On the one hand, I like the idea of... Um, He's an activist that's well past his prime, and he yeah, hasn't done anything that's lately. That's kind of what, like, I'm feeling like he is a little bit out of out of place. Mm -hmm. He's he's past his freshness to date. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like that, and it's that Denzel. makes it compelling. Some of the choices that he makes. Yeah, it's written uh, and directed by the guy who did Nightcrawler with the Jake Gyllenhaal film. Um, it looks it looks like the, everyone's acting their asses off. And uh, I'm kind of into it. I think that it'll it'll be fun. Um, and I love Denzel in just about anything. Uh, so you know. Uh, and finally, Pacific Rim Uprising. It's the Pacific Rim Two. John Boyega is in it, and um, a couple of the only returning actors they could get were the two geeky scientists, because either everyone else was dead or no one wanted to touch it. Uh, I don't know how you felt about this. Uh, I'm I'm. I'm not really big on sequels of uh, stuff like that. Like, they told a great story the first time. Yeah, and it was novel. This... Yeah. Didn't it feel like a Transformers movie? Yeah, I thought it was a Transformers movie. It just, it's there's like, so much destruction. Wait, there's a lot. Even what they say, like, in the bidding, you know, talking about this world, and it's like, oh, it just sounded like so much Transformers. But again, it's like, if something isn't novel, then it's not going to be as good. Mm -hmm. So you're not bringing anything new and interesting to... They, they, I think they've committed this classic sequel mistake is, is not broadening the world, just making the monster bigger. Well, and that, exactly. And it's like, mm, yeah. you know, I don't really need that. Gaiju fans are going to eat this up. You well, know. yeah, it's eye candy. Sure. But... And the same people that are going to see a three-hour Transformers movie are going to love this. Me, maybe if it's on late at night, I can't find the remote, I'll leave it on. But I'm not, I was very interested to begin with, and I just don't, I'm not feeling this one at all. Uh, so that's all that. How fun. Um, we're, we're getting really lucky, and I'm getting better at weeding out the stuff that is blatant shit. So at least, even the things that aren't good, they at least... Are, are interestingly enough uh, moving on to uh, you said you watched Constantine is there anything else you've seen recently that you liked um oh gosh well just, we've been kind of watching movies here and there mm -hmm. yeah and we're going to get to a lot of these we watch a lot of the movies together because we are married so um, <laughs> hey that's too private <laughs> <laughs> speaking of um we saw The Void which was a uh it seemed like a pastiche of a lot of other films, um, specifically The Thing, Prince of Darkness, yeah. uh, Anthony de Blasi's Last Shift. It was visually interesting, and there was a ton of... I think he said The Beyond, too. Yeah, the ending. The, the ending of, it, of this film is straight out of The Warrior. Beyond. Yeah. It, <laughs> um, 
I I'm interested in it. I was interested because it was crowdfunded. I'm interested in it because it's these guys' first feature, yeah. and, and um, it was competently done. I look forward to seeing what else they do. But this film wasn't all of that. So, right. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, we also watched Kong Skull Island, um, which I hated. I, mm, <laughs> ah. <laughs> it was okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it's so blatantly that they're setting up this bigger gaiju world. Yeah, and I just there there was like so much. Of course, it like doesn't make sense, and but it right. looks cool. And I thought Samuel L. Jackson was he. I did not like him in that role. All he did in this movie was yell at stuff. Yeah, look sad and yell at stuff. <laughs> it's like that's what you're gonna spend your money. And what gets me is, is I think when. And Peter Jackson got this, where you got Kong, and Kong is his force of nature. And if he does something that you benefit from, it's because it's not because he's doing it out of caring for humanity. It's just a byproduct of what he his goal is. And this was more setting him up, Kong up as a protector of hum, certain bits of humanity. Right. Um. Uh. But yeah. Didn't go in with high expectations, and they and they weren't. Then those weren't even met for me. Um, let's see. These are a couple of things you didn't watch along with me. Um, I watched. I rewatched Valhalla Rising, and uh, I loved it. I love Valhalla Rising. It's a great movie. Um, Grand Piano with uh, Elijah Wood as a pian and John Cusack. Elijah Wood is a pianist who in his earpiece he hears John Cusack saying he's got a gun on him and he's on stage playing he goes if you stop playing I'm going to shoot you and it becomes this whole thing sort of cat and mouse thing is that a, a, was there a different movie similar to that because it sounds so familiar probably it doesn't one's not popping into my head but yeah probably uh, and then um, a Edward G. Wallace double bill, Mad Executioner and Fellowship of the Frog. If you are a fan of German crimi films, if you know what German crimi films are, um, they're very much pulled from that same Agatha Christie hopper um, of murder mysteries, drawing room mysteries, that kind of thing. Um, but they're great. They're, they're sort of a precursor to the Italian giallo. Uh, and then... Um, I saw a thing called Crimes of the Black Cat. It's a 1972 giallo, uh, also called something of the yellow scarf. It had to do with someone who was murdering people by first sending them a scarf, and then later on they, they would let a, uh, a cat loose in their house whose claws had been dipped in curare. So the, the cat is trained to attack whatever... It really hates these yellow scarves. <laughs> so whoever's wearing it gets gets attacked, and they get scratched, and they end up dying. And it was it was it wasn't bad. I I, I mean, given that it was like 1972, given that everyone was wearing big wide lapels and and you know all this kind of stuff, um, it was fun. It was it was worth checking out. Uh, let's a couple things, and we'll get out of here. Music. What are you listening to? You said you were listening to some Tom Petty. Uh, yeah, I've been on a Tom Petty jag the past couple of days. So I've listened to his whole catalog yeah. over the past few days. It's funny how that will happen, right? Someone will pass, and then you end up just going through all their catalog. Well, yeah, and I mean, if 
people start talking about like, oh, my favorite song this, my favorite song that, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, that was really good on the first album, and then once you start the first album, you just sort of have to go mm-hmm. through the whole thing. And the beauty of that is you're able to find stuff that you may not have, may not have resonated with you the first time you heard it, and now that you're older, you go, oh, yeah, I get that now. Yeah, well, just... I've really been like in pain because I was in high school <laughs> during a lot of it. <laughs> I was like, oh, jeez, God, that I remember listening to the song and being really pissed off about something. And, right, right, and right. That, I mean, that's what music. Teen is, angst, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, dang. It's funny you hear like I hear for forever. I I will never ever hear. American girl, and not think of Silence of the Lambs. I'm gonna get murdered soon. I know that's so funny that you say that because I was thinking that too, listening to it. It's like yeah, it's sort of it. It changed because when I was um, I'm gonna date myself, but when I was a freshman in high school, it was right before or right around the time you're gonna get it. The second album came out, so I had to listen to the first album first. Sure. And um, so, like American Girl was. Like, oh man, yeah, that's me. I'm like a freshman in high school in the American. And then, like, when Silence of the Lambs came out, it actually ruined that song for Isn't me. Isn't that funny? Completely. Yeah. So. Oh, it's, I'm gonna shoot. I'm gonna kill them. if they ask me to help them with their children. <laughs> I'm not gonna help them. No, I'm not helping anybody with no damn sofa. <laughs> so funny. Um, me. Uh, despite Edgar Frost dying. And everyone leaving the band, Tangerine Dream has a new record out called Quantum Gate. (laughs) (laughs) I I have a feeling it's not going to be the last. I think there's just there's just going to be mining that forever, Uh, and it's not bad. Uh, It's it's really not bad. It's not great. It's not thief, but it's it's not bad. The other thing, the other thing that I want to mention, and this is really weird, Jan Vogler, who's a cellist, (laughs) and. So it's a cello, a key, a piano, and Bill fucking Murray, and the the music is loose jazz, and then out of nowhere, Bill Murray starts re- like at one point he reads from um, Huckleberry Finn, and the text is full of D's and D's and like this he adopts this affect, and it's really weird. And I thought this is an odd thing that Bill Murray signs on to do just for goofs. And then I read their touring. Oh wow! Yeah. And I that I don't get. Other than the idea that I'm I'm going, you could put him up there with a chimp, and it's Bill Murray, so I want to yeah, see him for an hour. Be fun. But the music is some of it's good, so a lot of it's pretty fucking grating. Um, so yeah, that and that just came out. Uh, and also, I want to say that I just heard on the way in from my, my regular job this morning. Dana Gould has a new record out called Mr. Funny Man, and it's it's hilarious. It's, He's great. It's really, really great. Um, I want to also throw out there that I, I've been reading Ben Sherwood's book, uh, The Survivor's Club, The Secrets and Science That Could Save Your Life. It's a sort of companion to another book I've mentioned on here called Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzales. talks about the, bi- the biometrics of survivability. For example, they find that people with some sort of a faith construct they pull through tragedies like like um fires or 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 hurricanes or or avalanches they pull through more because they they they're in their head there's a through line whereas someone who doesn't isn't have some kind of a faith structure 
they're real quick to go, well, I'm screwed, and they and it gives up. It's really fascinating if you're into that sort of biometric stuff about, you know, what, what happens to you when you become lost and afraid and fear and that kind of thing. Um, but they're, they're great books. Are you reading anything? Are you saying I'm doomed? We're kind of doomed. <laughs> We're both kind of doomed. Um, no, I am not reading anything. You're, you're busy doing school. Uh, I am reading all about project management. It's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks. This is fun. <laughs> we never get to do this. This is super Aww, fun. That's what we talk to you too much. <clears> I know. We, we end up watching the same thing and, and commenting then. Uh, again, Langley was missed this show. Next week uh, on the schedule is a conversation about comic books. We've got a, a local guy who runs a couple of comic book stores and we want to talk about it because Langley and I tend to shit on comic book movies and I want to have this this gentleman on to sort of talk about that and I, I, I'm dying to have him change my mind on this. Um, I don't know that that's going to happen. Um, I don't think he's going to change your mind but I'm, I'm in his camp. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and then coming up I'm, I, I wish I'm not going to I'm just going to not say too much but we've got some great guests coming up through um well, i gotta we got someone great for our halloween show list i don't want to ruin but it's pretty awesome and then coming through we've got a lot of more effects artists more more of everything so let us know on the facebook page what you like what you didn't like what you want to hear and by all means if you have a, a guest you want to have on us to have on and uh helpful would be some sort of way to get in touch with them but we can probably hunt them down so that's cool so that's that we're done cake cake <laughs> alrighty so for the bonus material podcast I'm Tom Carnell and I'm Kat Carnell stay scary